0: So turn your Bibles to Esther chapter three and eventually we'll get there. Uh, and for, because of Dan, I was thinking of actually Dan this morning and there's a uh, vocational hymns in your hymn book. Did you know that? So, oh yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah, it is. In the spirit of all things to all people, hymnals contain hymns for various vocations. The builder's hymn, how firm a foundation. The painter's hymn, Jacob's ladder. The meteorologist's hymn, there shall be showers of blessings. The surveyor's hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross. The breadmaker's hymn, I need thee every hour. The dispatcher's hymn, so send I you. The banker's hymn, on the banks of the Jordan. The veterinarian's hymn, all creatures of our God and King. The hiker's hymn, go tell it on the mountain. The baker's hymn, when the roll is called up yonder. The dentist's hymn, crown him with many crowns. The railroad worker's hymn, blessed be the tie that binds. The creditors' hymn, all to the IO. The cheesemaker's hymn, holy, holy, holy. And the consumer's hymn, in the sweet, by and by. So there you go. I was going through my things and I saw that one. It's like, this is perfect for Dan. <clears throat> so Esther chapter 3. And if you remember the last time that we talked, we'd gone over the whole situation in Esther chapter two, uh, dealing with big them and basically the whole, we don't like the king and we want to, you know, get rid of him kind of a thing. And it's, so in chapter three, it says, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants, that were in the king's gate, bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, and said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, For he hath told them that he was, or he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed showed him the people of Mordecai. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. So let's just start off with that little bit of section there. There's this man in King Ahasuerus' kingdom, and he was obviously a very talented man. I have no doubt that when we're dealing with Haman, he was somebody who was a good worker. He was somebody that was trying to do things for the king. I'm sure that he was very motivated to be successful. Uh, I think now his motivations, I don't think, were necessarily discerned necessarily. I think we'll see some things about his character as we go along in the book of Esther. But nonetheless, is he obviously... him. So I want you to think about that in in the context of the king had seen the works that this Haman had done. And obviously those works were of such a kind that he decided to promote him. Not only did it promote him, he put him above everybody else. Now I'm going to just give you a you know personal side to this is um, sometimes there are people who are not necessarily good people that are going to get promoted before you do. You may be a better worker. You may have better character. You may have fill in the blank with whatever you want and understand somebody else may get promoted. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to be a true Christian and go, it's God's will, whatever it is. If God's putting them there, there's something I can learn from this. I try to tell my kids all the time. It doesn't matter who you have for a boss. You can learn something from them. It may be what not to do, but you can learn something from them. You can learn something maybe of how to do. There's always the opportunity to learn whenever you're dealing with anyone. And that's sometimes we sometimes allow ourselves to get emotionally invested, and then we lose the potential blessing of learning something from that person. Because God does have a sense of humor. There are times where God wants to give you a message, and he's going to pick the last person in the world that you want to hear it from. He does. There are times you... There'll be somebody somewhere that you know is not a Christian, and they're going to make this statement to you. I didn't know Christians did things like that. And then you're like, Meow. you know, it's like, uh oh, right. It's one of those kinds of things. God knows who to use. And sometimes God uses those people to help teach you a lesson. And sometimes that means they're going to get elevated instead of you. Remember, where does promotion come from in the Bible? God it comes from the north. So therefore, we need to understand that if you don't get that raise, your problem is not with your boss's boss or whoever or your coworkers. Your problem is with God because maybe God doesn't want you to have that. You know, uh, that's one of the unfortunate things in the world we live in. We've got into this thing about good God, good grace, good fill-in-the-blank-for-everything-else that we all think that somehow the only thing God ever does is just heap blessings upon each and every one of us. And sometimes the greatest blessing you can get is not getting something good done to you. That's Bible. The problem is we live in a world that is so far removed from the Bible that when you sit down and try to talk to people about the Bible, some of them are like, what planet are you from? It's like, I've been going to church my entire life. I've never heard these things kind of a thing. Or they look at you and it's like, why would God who's so good and so perfect and so holy ever want something quote unquote bad to happen to me? Because maybe the only way that you're gonna grow and the only way you're gonna learn is with some adversity. Yeah. Maybe on top of that, God goes, I need to prove you. Yeah. You say you love me. You say you want all these things, but it's not until that trial of faith comes that you find out what reality is. Right. See, we can all say, oh, we love the Lord and we would, ne- we'd be like Peter. I'll never deny you, Lord. Right? Really? Yeah. Really? How many times have you denied him just by your own actions, myself included? How many times have we denied it by not speaking up when God's... You know God's there prompting you, saying, I want you to say something to that person, and you don't. You're like, God goes, go give him a tract. I don't want to. You know, I don't want the embarrassment of it. I don't want whatever that is. You know, that pride, that whatever that comes up, that's those kinds of things. So... I want to bring up another thing about King Haasuerus here. I think he's a good king. Uh, I think not only is a good king, is he's learned some good things, either because of growing up in that kingdom or the people who taught him. They taught him some good things, which is, guess what? There are some people around you that have talents and skills. Use them. That's no different than a church family. That's what a church family should do, is take advantage of the skills and talents people have. Because let's face it, um, I can't do that. I can't, I, I don't have that talent yet. You have a whole bunch of people in your church that have the talent. So what should you do? Allow them if they haven't the right spirit about them to use their talents for the Lord, for his praise and his glory. Cause I can tell you right now, there are a lot of churches, including the church that I went to, uh, that, that I go to. There was a period of time we had one person. They don't show up. You don't have a piano. Well, you might as well not have a piano because nobody's playing it. It's a blessing when God gives you multiples of things. It's not something to ever take for granted. It's not something to ever not be appreciative of. And what we see here with King Ahasuerus, just like King Nebuchadnezzar when dealing with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because I don't remember what their three Hebrew names are. So those are just the three I always grew up when those are the three we were taught in Sunday school. Those are the three I still remember today. I'll be dead, not remember my name, or almost dead, not remember my name, but I'll know their three, you know, names in Babylon kind of a thing. But think about what he do. He took the best and the brightest from all these, these countries and used them, used their talents, used their capabilities to make his kingdom better. That's what God wants to do. He wants to make the church better. How do you do that? That's the members of the church and getting them to use their talents. Sometimes talents they don't even know they have. Sometimes it's talents that maybe only you see. Uh, sometimes a talent only other people see. It takes encouragement a lot of times to get people to launch out into the deep, trust God and use their talents for him, uh, especially getting up in front and talking in front of people. Why? Because you're going to make a mistake. Lots of them. Uh, you're going to mess your words up. You're going to mess how you spell or say something. It's basically, it's just a complete disaster waiting to happen. It's just a matter of when. It's like, there's no doubt that disaster is not going to come, right? Because you, you have your flesh working against you. You have the devil working, working against you. You have people that are sitting there staring at you. I don't know about you, but that, you know, that can be slightly uncomfortable. Uh, you know, and maybe for you, that's not a problem, but for some of us, we were born introverts. And God goes, I don't care. That's not an excuse. You know, that was an excuse when you were a little kid why you didn't want to do plays and, and get in front of people and everything else. But he goes, but when God gets involved, he goes, guess what? I want you to do that. In fact, if you're an introvert, you can almost guarantee you're going to have more of God's attention, in my personal opinion. Why? Because he likes to take the foolish things. He likes to take the things that aren't in you that you think are the best parts of you. God goes, I don't want that. I want this. Why? Because if anything good comes from it, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's not you, it's God. And that's why, you know, I kind of overemphasize it. It's like, if you get anything good from up here, it's not because of me. It's because of how God, a good God is and the Holy Spirit that's going to minister to you. If he doesn't show up, we're in a world of hurt. I am not a professional speaker. I am not a person who's going to give, get up here and give you a 15-minute monologue about how you are wonderful people and God loves you and you should just feel better than when you came in. Because here's the reality, that may not be the case. God may want to take you down a couple of notches, take you to the woodshed. I don't want to get in the way of what the Lord wants to do for each and every one of you. And that doesn't mean that you get up as, you know, all riled up and fired up and just tear everybody down preaching from the pulpit. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you preach the message God gives you as terrible as it may be and leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. And if he speaks to you, then you know it came from God. And so one of the things to remember here is anybody have any idea why Mordecai does not want to bow or reverence Haman? Anyone? This is kind of like the, you know, well, you know, this is is kind of like, you know, to show date my age, it's like Ferris Bueller when they have the one guy that's reading the, you know, the thing, Bueller, Bueller, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, Because... Let's go look at uh, Mordecai. If you remember, Mordecai was a son of Kish, a son of Benjamin, like Saul. So Mordecai is from Kish. Does anybody think of any other Bible character comes to mind when I say the word Kish? Saul. So Saul was the first king of Israel. Remember, he was the big, really, really tall guy. He was bigger than everybody else. And so when Goliath the giant shows up, he's... The one person in all the kingdom who should have stood up that had the armor, that had the weapons, that probably had the training, was Saul. But he didn't do it. What they sent what they do, they ended up sending out a kid, a kid, to go fight a professional warrior. So that's Saul, he's from the he's from Kish. Now Haman is a son of Mamadatha, the kin of Agag. Anybody remember the name Agag in your Bible? Oh, yeah, I got lots of heads bobbing now. Turn over to Genesis chapter 36. So let's do a little bit of a family lesson. See, that's one thing about the Bible. It shows you everything about a person, who they're related to, and it shows you the good and bad. Genesis chapter 36, let's look in verse 12. And it says, Antimna was the concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. These were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. So Amalek comes from Esau. Now where does Esau come from? Who's his mom? Anybody remember? Hagar. Hagar. Now was Hagar, where, what was she from? Canaanite. Cursed be Canaan, to be a servant, right? So right here, let's go over to uh, Genesis 36, verse 2. Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Ahalambam. Oh, boy. Wow. The really long name here that starts with an A. The daughter of Anan, the daughter of Zibian the Hivite, and Bashamah, Ishmael's daughter, sister, you know, on, on and on and on. Here's a problem we have in the world today. That's where our kids are going to go to find their, their mates for the rest of their life. They're going to the world. They're, they're going to the Canaanites. And I'm, and I'm using this in a spiritual sense. How many of our kids... Are looking to, and it may be you today, if you're here and single, I'm not picking on you, I'm just making a statement. If the shoe fits, God bless you. Where are you going to find the people? Because if you go out in the world, what are they saying? Well, I'm doing like all the commercials. I'm going to the bars and I'm going to the concerts and I'm going to here and I'm going to there and that's where I'm trying to find my soul meat. Is that really where God wants you to go to find your soul meat? That's one of the hard times is sometimes we have, I can think of a young lady in our church that some of you know, Matt Briggs, that Matt had led to the Lord. And her heart's desire, she really wanted somebody else. She wanted to have a husband. That's a good godly desire that God put in her. The problem was that became more important than having a relationship with God. So the first time around, she ended up meeting with a good young Mormon boy. You know, he's got good character. He's got this. He's got all that. Yeah, but is he saved? No. And then, uh, thankfully, things end up not working out. Afterwards, then she came back to church and started getting back in and started learning and some other things. Until what? Until the next young man that came along. Where is she today? I have no idea. No idea it's unfortunate that one of the greatest things that we can get ourselves in trouble in is when we don't wait on the Lord and let the Lord bring the right person at the right time. Um, I know of a couple in my college career uh, class that I was in, you know, way back in the stone age, you know, we barely had the wheel and, uh, back then. And, uh, there was a couple in there. There was three couples that, yeah, three couples that came out. I had to think for a minute here. Um, that's where I met my wife and, uh, they really liked each other. Everything was going great in their relationship. They were thinking about getting married. So he's like, okay, I'm going to take you down to California to meet my family. You know, kind of that big first meeting kind of a thing. Um, so they drove down there. On the way down there, something happened. It's one of those I'm not sure what exactly. But it got a little testy in the car on the long drive. And by the end of their time frame down with their parents, the relationship was over. And so um, I was good friends with her. She called me and she said, you know, in tears here, he's, I thought he was the one and all this stuff. And I told her, look, I'm going to just tell you something I learned from somebody else. He may be the one, but it may be the wrong time. It is just as important to have the right person as it is to have the right time. Now, it was a couple years later, they ended up getting married and, the you know, had the happily ever after and all that kind of stuff. And she came back to me later and she said, thank you for those, that word of advice. She goes, it helped me to get it off of me and go, you know what, Lord, whatever you want. If you want him to be the one, great. If not, great. I am, I'm happy with whatever you want, Lord, because it's far more important for you to have your way in my life than it is for me to get what I want. That's a tough position to be in, especially when you're young. I can tell you because I had my first girlfriend and I'm sure, I was sure we were going to get married. Yeah, where would I be today? I can guarantee you one thing, if I would have married her, I wouldn't be here today. Because all the little circumstances in my life that brought me to a Bible believing Baptist church would have never happened. I would have ruined it all because of my desire. And and believe me, the Lord had to deal with me and because I got mad at Him because He didn't give me what I wanted. I'm sure none of you have ever done anything like that. I'm just letting you know some of us are very childish, even in our old age. But nonetheless, is in Genesis 9.25 is where it says, Cursed be Canaan. I just want you to know I'm not making things up about the whole thing about Canaan, but that's where he went. He went to the place where there's a curse put upon him, and that's where he's looking for his wife. No wonder their problems. So Amalekites are actually family. These are like your extended family. You know, the shoestring relatives. You know, the, the cousins second twice removed and all those kinds of things. They are family to the Jews. And I can tell you what, uh, in Exodus chapter 17 there was a family reunion and they didn't get along real well. There are some family reunions that don't go well. Let's just be honest. Hopefully, you know, I don't know how your family reunion is when they all get together. Maybe they all get along perfectly and get along well and play well. And all not all families are that way. But I can tell you this, a church family should. There shouldn't be any circumstances going on that a church family can't be gracious and kind one to another. Now, I will say this. Your pastor or the leadership of the church might have to say some things like, it's time for you to hit the road. Or they may have to come to you and talk to you very seriously about something. But as a church family, we're here to what? Pray for one another, love one another, encourage, strengthen, give words of wisdom. You know, and sometimes those words of wisdom, they need to come from love that we're trying to tell you, look, we just don't want you to make all the stupid mistakes we made. You know, try to help save you from some of these things. Do not be like one of my sons who has to try everything for himself. It doesn't matter that you tell him. It doesn't matter that it's seen somebody else. Somehow he thinks he's going to be different and the end result is going to be different. And then he comes back later and goes, well, you know what? That turned out just like you said it would. (laughs) Really? Boy, that's a shock. Well, it was a shock to him. Why? Because that's who he is. The greatest thing we can do is learn from other people, either by watching them or by words that we can hear some things going on in their lives. In Exodus chapter 17, it says, "Then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rephim. That's good old family. Sometimes good old family, they, you know, they just don't get along. Uh, I've told you before about uh, one of my parts of my family, the shoestring relatives, are hillbillies from West Virginia. Back before it was West Virginia, it was called uh, it was all Virginia, and there's the Kanawha River. And on one side of the north side of that river is E-step, and the south side of that river is S-steps, spelled exactly the same, and they're all related. But they don't get along. So you got to know which side of the river you are to even know how to say the name right. One of those kinds of things. You know, maybe your family has something like that. There is nothing like a root of bitterness in a family, whether it's a church family or your own personal family, to make a mess out of things. There's nothing like it. Because people hold on to that till they're dying breath. That's not the way it's supposed to be as a church family. Uh, if you're here today, and this is me, okay, I'm up on my cell box. I'm preaching now, even though it's a teaching class. If you got some root of bitterness between you and somebody else in your church family, get it taken care of sooner rather than later. Do you really want to show up at the judgment seat of Christ knowing you had some little thing against somebody that you just had to hang on to for all your strength? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And here's the real funny thing. Sometimes there will be something that you're so upset about it, you're just angry about it. Not but you don't let any of the other Christians see. But that's how you are on the inside. The other person has no clue. They're completely oblivious, and you're like, well, they should just know. It's like they're going along happily along their lives. They have no clue, and it is destroying you from the inside out. You can't control them. You can't dictate things to them, but you can control yourself. You can go, Lord, just help me to get rid of this burden. Just help me pitch it out the window while I'm driving down the freeway at about 50. Uh, let's get rid of it. Um, turn to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. It's very important in the book of Esther to understand the background of what's going on between Mordecai and Haman. It is not a simple thing. And that's why we're looking at some of these things. In Num- Numbers chapter 24, and verse 20, it says, be, um, whoops, wrong one, I'm in 23. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be, be that he perish Forever. That's God's judgment on the Amalek people. That's your God. That's the God of the Bible. Understand there are people out there. He says three strikes. You're out. No more chances. See, this is another problem that Christians have. We don't understand how a loving sharing God, because we've listened to the world and the girl, the world's viewpoint of a God could ever get to the point where he says, guess what? I'm done with you. I'm done with you. That can happen to a Christian just as easily as it can happen to a lost person where you turn your back and you walk away from God and God goes, you know what, you want to go down this road, you have it. It's all yours. Own it. Mm -hmm. That's the worst place a Christian can ever be on is when God said, I'm done with you. I'm not sending any more messengers. I'm not getting people from your past and your church family and everybody else to come witness to you. You have it. That is the worst place any Christian can ever be. And that's why we as one of the things within a church family, what do we need to do? We don't know when God makes that choice on a person. So let's not be judge and jury. Let God do that. Keep praying. God, give them another chance. Send another messenger. Send the right person to talk to them. You know, if it's me, you know, thump me over the head so I know it's me. And then give me the right words to say because otherwise I'll mess it up. You know, those kinds of things. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17. Remember what who? Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. So here comes Amalek. He's your first indication of a terrorist in the Bible. He comes up and he's going after where all the old people were at, all the sick people were at, and all the, ki- the kids were at. That's who he's attacking. He's not attacking where the, the, the young men of war are at. He's going to the all the way in the back and attacking the weak. You know, that's what the devil likes to do. Same thing. So, by the way, you'll see this today. It's called Muslims throughout the world. You'll see them doing acts just like this. Uh It's not just them. Look at Russia. Oh, we're going to send rockets over. We don't really necessarily care where they're going. We're just launching them over here. And if it hits people in a school or a hospital, who cares? That's terrorism. That's what these people were doing. Now, look at the goodness of God, Did did God take right here and said, I saw what you did. I'm wiping it out right now. No, he gave him more chances. He did pronounce a judgment on him. But just think about the goodness of God when you do something wrong and he doesn't immediately just smack you down. Think of the goodness of God when instead of smacking you down, he gives you a blessing. He does something where, it, you know, sometimes it might bring you to tears. That's our God. So turn over First Samuel chapter. Or, well, no, let's skip that. Let's go to be um, Deuteronomy twenty-five nineteen. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which God the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess, that thou shalt blout out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. God gave them a commandment right there. It says, when you go in the land, you wipe them out and you kill them all. So what they do, didn't do it. That's the same thing for us. When we get saved, there's some things in our lives. When we get saved, God says, you know what? You need to kill this and get it out of here. Get it out of your life. And what do we do? We baby it. We do all these other things and we allow it to continue to live. You know, well, we have it under tribute. You know, isn't that a good thing? No, not when God tells you to kill it. So those things in our lives, we can see the spiritual application today. Um, In Psalms chapter 73, it talks about, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Don't do it. Do not get envious of the wicked. Don't get envious of seeing what goes on with people who seem to get promoted, who seem to get all the the blessings and all the good things to go their way, don't get envious of them. This may be as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. This may be as close as good things that they're ever going to get. Proverbs 11, 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. If you can keep yourself reined in and keep yourself humble, God can do a lot with you. God can promote, let God promote you later on. You don't worry about you, let God worry about you. Besides, He knows what's a real thing. Proverbs 16, 18, 19 talks about that pride goes before destruction. Pride is one of the hardest things that we have to fight against because pride comes out in all sorts of different ways. Pride can come out like, well, I'm just too good to do that. Pride can also come out and go, I can't do that, I don't have any talent. They're both pride. It's just a different face or the coin. And Jeremiah 49, it talks uh, a lot about the pride of our hearts and how our pride can lift us up to heights like an eagle. That's what pride can do. It's not just some small thing. It can become all-consuming. There are people out there whose entire lives are consumed by pride. They're blinded by their pride. In Obadiah chapter 1, it talks about the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. See, if we look at just pride in the Bible, it's all the way through the Old Testament. You don't even have to get to the Pauline epistles to have somebody talk about it. In um, Obadiah chapter 1, by the way, not only does it talk about pride, but it gives you an illustration of the devil that takes you back to a whole other thing about dealing with pride. Um And so Esau is mentioned as the great-great-grandpa of Haman in Esther chapter 3 verse 2. And it says, and, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. Now bowing, it's a whole different thing. Um, it's an, there's an oriental custom of bowing to show respect, but reverence is something else. So how many here have ever seen an oriental show? That means, you know, Asian. Anywhere around there, and seeing them bowing as a method of respect, right? In fact, bowing has levels of respect. I didn't realize this. I've since learned that because you can do that, like you can bow and you know do this kind of like a head bob, you know, kind of a bow. Uh, but they have other ones that the further you're bent over vertically is showing more respect. So if you get so you're you know you're looking straight down at the ground, you are showing somebody very, very much your humbleness and your respect for them. And so the, in their culture, they have a lot more things dealing with respect than we do. Mostly in America, we don't have the same levels of respect. Now let's also be reasonable. There are a lot of times they do stuff that are shows of respect that they have no respect for the person. It's just culturally they're being nice people or doing the right thing. Kind of a thing. But reverence is a whole other thing. Um, Turn over to 2 Samuel, chapter 9. 2 Samuel, chapter 9. 2 Samuel, chapter 9. And we're going to look in verse 6. Now, most of you probably know the story about Mephibosheth. And it says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did what? Reverence and David said, "Mephibosheth," and he answered, "Behold, thy servant." Reverence is also used in Leviticus or First Kings chapter one, verses thirty-one, and that was Bathsheba reverencing the king. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse thirty, where God says, "Ye shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary." Psalms 89, seven talks about that um, they had to be had in reverence of all them that are about him speaking about the saints. Reverence has a spiritual application to it. So you can bow and not have any spiritual thing to it. But if you're doing reverence, you're worshiping. God told the Jew, the only one you worship is me. I mean, God, not me, God. So Mordecai has a choice. There's a commandment from his king that says you bow and reverence Haman. Mordecai has a choice to make. Do I do what the king told me to do or do what God told me to do? Book of Romans talks about this. There may come a choice and it may come soon for us Christians here in America where it may cost you something to show up here, sit down in this church and hear a message. It may cost you your job. It may cost you family. It may cost you a whole bunch of different things. And what Paul said, which is good things, is, look, as far as you can follow whatever the rules are, the leadership set up by God, he controls who the the kings are of the world. You follow them until you can't, which means you have a law from God. You have a command from God tells you to do something else. It's either God or man. Who are you going to follow? Who's your ultimate authority? And that's what happens here with Mordecai is he knows, he knows who this person is. He knows the backstory in the history. And we haven't even got to the biggest part of the backstory in the history yet. But you can already see there's enough here that he knows. It's like, look, if I bow and reverence, Haman, I'm directly going against what God told me to do. Sometimes in our Christian life, we may get into a situation like that. Um, the other thing, well, I don't have enough time to get into it, so let's skip that. Uh, turn over to um, Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, and we're going to look in verse 13. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. Oh, by the way, the word reverence might change how you look at this verse a little. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy the husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they say, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. John chapter one, he came unto his own and his own received him not. That's what happened to Lord Jesus Christ. He was the son. He was the son of the vineyard. He came to his own people. And what? They didn't receive him. So then what happened? Those three strikes are out. Then God says, okay, you know what? Because of your disbelief and not doing what I'm doing, I am taking the kingdom of God and I'm taking it away from you Jews and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. And then we see that in Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 where God goes to a different Gentile each chapter. Why? Three strikes are out. Sometimes God may have a blessing for you. This is the spiritual application of it. God may have a blessing for you, but your choices go, sorry, I have to give it to somebody else now. I had this for you. I had this, whatever it is, but because of your choices and your actions, I have to take it and give it to somebody else. Exodus chapter five, verse 33, it says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife that she reverence, Her husband. Ladies, have you ever thought about what that word means in connotation, what we already talked about? That's a hard word. That's a very hard word. That's why it's so important as a young lady that you pick somebody that you can stand underneath spiritually and say, I'm following him as he follows the Lord. Because if you can't answer that question, then you've already got the wrong person picked. You need a young man, you need an old man, you need a whatever man it's gonna be, needs to be a man of God who's gonna follow the Lord to the best of their ability and puts God first. Why? Because if you do that, you're gonna find a good husband. Yes, he's gonna have flaws, he's gonna have failings, he's gonna leave the toilet seat up, he's gonna, I don't know, maybe it's for you, it's when you brush your teeth and you're both using the same toothpaste. Do you put the water on the toothbrush first and then squeeze the toothpaste onto it? Or are you one of the other people that take the toothbrush, put it on, and then stick it under the water? You don't do that? Okay. I'm just saying there are all sorts of things that you learn when you get married, that, at least as a guy, that you had no clue about there i mean you th- it's it's one of those things i think men are the most blind and inept people when they get married in a lot of ways cuz we have we're so clueless about so many things like there's this whole section of female stuff i don't know what it is you know and now the, that's not totally true i kind of knew what it was but it's not like i was over there and it's the only reason i knew what it was is cuz of the commercials and i had girl cousins and other stuff like that then you get married and stuff happens where you get sent to the store. You're a 20-something guy. You're in a store. You're in this section. Everybody in the world knows you have no reason to be over in this area. What are you doing over here? Or it doesn't even have to be that bad. There, There's just the aisles of stuff. You go to Walmart and you're trying to pick up shampoo or conditioner. And you're looking for this one kind that you have written down in your note or it's on your phone. And you're like... My goodness, how, how many possible for it? And then there's like, not only that, they even look the same. Some of them are body wash and shampoo and conditioner, and they're all colored the same, and you find one there, it's the right brand name, it's the right scent, smell, flavor, whatever it is, and it's like, oh no, that's body wash. And then, then you're off somewhere else looking. You know, and then heaven forbid, you have to ask somebody at Walmart for something. That's like, yeah, You might as well just get down on your knees there and, oh, please, God, show me where it is. Because you're going to get a better chance out of it. See? That's as close to an amen as you're going to get on this one. Back to Esther chapter 3. We'll leave the high spiritual plane there and get back to the Bible. Esther chapter 3. The king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgresseth thou the king's commandment? You know why now. Which means they also know why, and they know he's a Jew, and they pass it on. I don't know about you, but look in verse 4. Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand. Um, have you ever had people that really want to help you out? I mean... You know, family, friends, they're just, because it starts off, they're like, they understand the whole thing that's going on and they're, they're reasoning with you. And then at some point they go, you're not getting the hint we're giving you. So we're going to go tell the bad guys the whole information. And then we'll just sit back and, you know, popcorn, you know, see what wait for to see what's going on. That's what's happening here. They're like, we'll see what happens. How does this matter stand? Understand there are some people out there that you may think that you're friends, but given the opportunity for you, they are going to feed the flames of some kind of conflict. You know, this isn't just a high school thing or a grade school thing. This is people, regardless of how old they are, can do this. I don't care if they're in the old folks' home and they have the appearance of being the sweetest people known to mankind. They can be just as vicious as anybody you've ever met in your life. Uh, you know, they may be coming to church and you're thinking they're like mother. They're like the living personification of Mother Teresa. They're so sweet and they're so kind and they give candy to the kids and they do. And you put them in the right set of circumstances and they're going to sell you out in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. And then what you will do is, well, if that person does it, I want nothing to do with that church or any of the other people. And God and the devil just found a way to separate you out from the church family. God puts you in. Don't let the choices of other people separate you from where God wants you to be. I'm a firm believer when new people come in, I try to be friendly. I try to talk to them at our church, even though I'm an introvert, and that's kind of an oxymoron right there. But I try my best, and then I pray, God, this may not be the right church for them. And if they're looking, help them find the church that you want them to be in, where they can get in and be a part and use their talents and capabilities and grow as a Christian. That's the ultimate goal. And the thing is, if you know you're in the church where God puts you, then until he tells you it's time to go, it doesn't mother, matter what brother and sister so-and-so say. That has nothing to do with it. It matters be you being where God wants you to be. Yeah, but, no, there aren't any. Yeah, but there's this person. You know what? God may have put that person in there to be that little rough iron to get rid of some of the little rough spots on you. Yeah. The only reason that person's there is because of you. And that's—I know it's that's a kind of a mean thing to say, but that can be the reality. Is sometimes the little stuff that kind of makes people knock heads or do those things, or why God's trying to smooth you both out. Right. You don't know that God's looking for some young person that's around some crusty old person, why? So that young person can soften that heart up of that old saint again. And get back to the point where they have that love and that candor for the Lord that they've forgotten. It's very easy when you've been saved for a long period of time to forget what it's like to be new and excited for the Lord with a whole bunch of zeal and absolutely no knowledge whatsoever. You're like, you know, hey, we're going to charge, you know, hell with a squirt gun. You're like, I'm going to witness to everything that's like. No, I don't know any Bible verses worth using, but I got like one. So here we go. Right. That's a good example for us to remember what it's like in your first love when we first got saved and let that rub off on us and help it change us we need all the different age groups we also need to learn some things from the older people what they've been through some things they've made some good decisions and bad decisions they've had some experiences and we can learn from that regardless of what their age is all of that excuse me is part of what we have that availability as christians so when you go through your week this next week, you don't know that God's not going to bring some problem into your thing. One, one, maybe just to soften you up a little bit. Maybe to help teach you something. Maybe to help you turn around and use that experience to help somebody else out later. There's all these different opportunities of God, God is miraculous. God, he can do all sorts of things. We're the ones who limit what he can do. Let's not limit him this next week. Let's just go. You know what, Lord? Whatever it is that you want me to do, help me to see it, help me to hear it, and then help me to do it. Because sometimes we can see it and we can hear it, but the do part is our problem. Right. Uh, maybe some of you are a little more difficult like I am. I'm Norwegian. I, You know, Lord hit me upside the head because I'm not seeing or hearing. And I might ask for a couple forms of ID just to make sure, you know, are you sure? Whatever those cases may be. Why? We need to know what it is that God wants us to do. If you're here on this earth and you're still breathing, there's a reason for you to still be alive. God's got something for you. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. He knows the things that you've gone through in your life. He knows the things you're going to go through in the future. And sometimes the trials we're going through now are to set us up so we can handle what's coming in the future. Because it's not always jumping rope. Uh, you know, we can talk to Amy. I You know, let's just peel back the time clock to, you know, let's say July of last year. And you talk to her then and you talk to her now. I guarantee you, there's still some things that have changed. There's some lessons and some experiences have gone through that have changed her. We need to get changed by those in the way that God wants us to get changed. And let his work be done in our lives. And let's face it, sometimes when he's working on us, it's not real pleasant. It is seriously like being the clay on the potter's wheel and he's like, you know what? Uh, and reform it all over again. Sometimes it's not always easy, but it's still God knows what's best. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person that is, that came today, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, for coming to the house of the Lord to hear something from your book. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister the needs in their lives, Lord, the struggles that they're having, the difficulties, Lord, that you would help them with each one of those. Lord, if they're right now at a mountaintop where they're just seeing you and you're all this in their eyes and they're just praising you and blessing you, Lord, help them to hang on to that. Help them to just bask in your glory and to be truly thankful of what a magnificent God we have. And we pray for the services to come, Lord, that you would receive all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his blood we pray. Amen.